Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Bill O'Brien is Alabama's latest offensive analyst. Clemson is 3-0, and life is good. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by Ben and Cody. And we are here to recap the Clemson victory over the Virginia Cavaliers and preview the Miami Hurricanes game. Fellas, welcome back. It's been a week or two. A much-needed break here early in the season. You know, we were um, – it was a, a quick start in, in the offseason getting uh, prepared for this year. Um, things have been going crazy. You know, we we worked really hard in August and leading up to the podcast. And um, it was good to have that nice little break after a couple weeks. Uh, I fear we might come out a little bit rusty uh, in, in this one. Um, we'll see how it goes, though. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think we definitely came out rusty, but – and. I, I don't like all these kind of off weeks, but thank God we're not like Notre Dame where they had this massive COVID case. It's like, are they going to be able to play at all this year? So I'll take, I'll take where we are right now. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do appreciate the buy like one week ago. Uh, there was a lot of chaos throughout the country. It was just one of those Saturdays. You're glad your team's not playing, you sit back and spectate and observe that. Um, but I agree, Ben, we did sense a little bit of rust. Obviously we'll get into talking about the Virginia game here. Uh, but yeah, Cody, I mean, you never know in a given week, you know, what's going to go down on campus and within the locker room. So thus far, Clemson's avoided any type of, you know, mass outbreak. Um, we've definitely had some guys miss games. Not too much has been shared about reasons for for a lot of those, those uh, I guess, absences. But, um, you know, thus far, Clemson's missed the big, uh, the big spread of COVID, which is nice. I was actually talking about the podcast being rusty, but I guess that joke went over y'all's heads. Maybe nobody, here, man. maybe nobody was firing on all yet. cylinders. Are we? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. None of us have uh, gotten COVID yet that we know of. I haven't gotten tested. So, but yeah, no symptoms. <laughs> Probably good. <laughs> uh, well guys, uh, plenty to cover. I mean, a lot of action across college football this weekend was pretty exciting. Still a number of top 25 upsets. Uh, still have no big 10 football, still no pac 12. Uh, I think by now, I believe all of the Power Five and Group of Five conferences have opted back in. Um, but let's start with what everyone came here to, to listen to and talk about is the Clemson Virginia game. So uh, Clemson took care of business at home, forty-one to twenty-three victory. Uh, did not cover the twenty-eight and a half point spread. Um, quite far from it, actually. And this one. Uh, if I had to sum it up in one word, guys, maybe rust is the right word, Ben. I think it was, it was an ugly win, but it was also a decisive three, three score victory. No, it was. And that's why, I mean, when you take everybody's and we also have to give credit to the fact that Virginia is a good football team. Okay. Let's not keep buying into this narrative that everybody in the ACC sucks. Um, most of them do. 
but not all of them. There are some decent football teams and uh, Virginia had some, some good talent and some experienced guys there on both sides of the ball. Um, but at the same time, we've seen this before with Clemson teams. It's early in the season. We didn't have much competition leading into this game yet. Wake Forest and then the Citadel and then an open date. Um, so I mean, you gotta, you gotta take all these things into account. We got a ton of, we got, we got important guys injured. Um, you know, what was supposed to arguably be our best receiver this year, Joe Angata has been hurt. Um, Justin Foster's yet to make an appearance, obviously no Xavier Thomas has been out. Tyler Davis has been out. Um, and those things start adding up. Um, and especially when you're only a couple of games in, like there's still some things to work out. Um, are there things that need to be improved upon if we're going to, you know, sniff a national championship game? Absolutely. But we still have time for that to happen. Yeah, after a second watch, and unfortunately I only got to watch the first half of the of the rewatch, um, I would say Virginia played a lot better on defense than I I realized. And obviously in the in the moment you you expect Trevor Lawrence to make every pass. And they their secondary play well, their their front seven played fairly well. I thought their linebackers did a great job filling gaps and, and not opening, not letting Etienne Etienne beat us as bad as he could have or beat them as bad as he could have beat them. So overall, yeah, I, I don't think – I felt like the game was in hand the whole time, even though uh, – even the numbers kind of shook out a little bit differently than I thought. Virginia did play a really good game. But ultimately, I felt like we we were in control. A lot of a lot of warts have been exposed. But as you said, Ben, a lot of that has to do with injuries, uh, especially to the defense. Yeah, and listen, Virginia themselves have only played one – they only played one game leading into this one this year, so we didn't have a ton of tape on them. We didn't have uh, barely any tape on, on their quarterback. Um, they did some things on both sides of the ball um, that the coaching, that the Clemson coaching staff just hadn't seen yet. They played very disciplined. There was only one penalty on the day. Um, but at the same time, they weren't doing much on offense until the last drive of the second half. Um, and their last score was with backups in there, not all backups, but there were backups in there. So, you know, it could have been 41 to 16 or whatever. Um, what was the final score? 41-23? Yeah, 41-23. Um, and yeah, Ben, to your point, I think you said they didn't score until the yeah. last they didn't score until the last drive of the second half, the second quarter. Right. Um, which, you know, I, I do want to talk about kind of ugliness in the game call game calling. Um, that that period, that kind of two drive episode for Clemson, um, got a good stop, force the punts. Um, they get the ball back with about 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 a minute forty. Um, and instead of sort of running out the clock, Clemson gets the ball back, you know, control the half, you know, win the final eight, win the last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second, you know, kind of the Dabo mantra, um, peculiar, peculiar play calling, kind of a peculiar sequence where they're going to the air and they're throwing down the sideline. And really that was not an option that was working all night for the Tigers offense, um, three and out. And then, you know, uh, get a sack to start the Virginia drive. And then three plays later, they're in the end zone on um, basically three consecutive 20 plus yard passing plays uh, that I think exposed probably a defensive secondary that was already kind of checked out for the half. You know, they, they probably thought the the half was over, you know, when they saw that punt happen on the previous series. So um, I don't know. I think like, you know, there's definitely some things in this game. You could point to certain guys being out, um, but it just didn't seem quite like, the entire Clemson team is on the same page and really locked in for 60 minutes. And, um, you know, that's the kind of thing probably that you as a fan can gripe about. I don't necessarily know that that is a, that's definitely not cause for concern moving forward. Like those kind of things is, you know, one of those nights 
Um, we tend to have maybe one or possibly two of those per year and teams seems to figure it out. Um, and you know, there are plenty of coachable moments throughout this game. Um, I think maybe to some of the points you guys have already made, you know, is the, is the team that was on the field Saturday night, like a national caliber, national championship caliber, caliber team. I don't think we're trying to make that argument. I think there were enough guys missing from that team that, no, I don't, I don't necessarily know that that, that that squad, that defense, let's say, um, wins it, wins even a semifinal game. Well, and we um, felt but, the same team about uh, same thing about the team at this point last year as well. I mean, ultimately they didn't end up winning a national championship, but probably played against the best uh, offense in, in college football history. So, and then held their own for a lot of the game. Um, one other thing that I want to put out, uh, put out there that I've talked about before heading into this season is the home field advantage is not a home field advantage, at least not the same way it used to be anymore. And that makes a big difference. Like opposing teams coming into a full death Valley fans screaming every single um, uh, uh, offensive possession for the, uh, the opposing team that makes a huge difference. And that's not there right now. Now it will benefit us when we go on the road, but uh, I, I do want to factor that in because it does lessen that advantage somewhat. I agree with you, Ben. Um, I mean, that, that, that's a factor. Um, I think the big thing though, all right, I, I want to jump into some hot takes. I don't know if we want to go offense defense, but big thing for me is like Tyler Davis being out and the youth of not just the defensive line. Cause it will, it, it's not all youth. There's actually a lot of upperclassmen. I think it's um, a lot of mediocrity. Uh, some, some really good uh, second unit guys that are starting and not having Tyler Davis, he's the best player on the defense. I think he that solidified. I mean, just not having him in there, you see what you lose. And then more so this this defense, more so than I think any defense since maybe 2012, is the most prone to, I would say, like freshman-type mistakes. I'm, if I'm missing any, you guys let me know. But it's not to say this. the upside is it that of, I don't know, I would say probably 2016. I think that's somewhere where the defense is upside sits, but I don't, I think uh, just kind of the, the back end, the safeties, especially. Um, and then some of the guys on the front line, um, just kind of the lack of high end talent right now. I think it puts you kind of uh, at, a, at a lower, low, um, lower, lower floor, I would say for the for the defense. Well, and to be, I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of freshmen and sophomores on the field, right. Playing yeah. right now and they need to develop. Andrew Booth didn't play much last year. We've seen him develop in three games so far. Um, you just need that. You need to see that out of some of these other guys. And we also need to get some of our veterans back and healthy. Well, guys, a year ago, we talked about we lost the Power Rangers. Saturday night, we turned over the entire defense line. Like, not one starter from last year played and went on Saturday. So, uh, but again, you know, let's knock on wood somewhere. That's This is not the defensive line that's going to be leading this team out there against Miami or Notre Dame later in the year, or ideally in an ACC championship game or a playoff game. Uh, so yeah, it's a little bit different. I mean, these are the games that we do want to see, you know, guys get reps, guys get snaps, you know, guys get that experience, especially the true freshmen that are in there. Um, but that, yeah, you do have kind of some, uh, some veterans that, you know, that we kind of already know what their, what their upside is and what their limitations are. And, um, um, you know, lo- love some of these guys, but Niles Pinkney, you know, tracking that tracking guys down in coverage um, is not really going to get the job done too often. <laughs> that was a, that was an odd play to see. 
<laughs> I, I think right. see happen. Um, well, and think about the continuity um, of this team and having a consistent lineup out there from game to game. And even in, in fall camp, you know, just because guys being out with injuries and COVID related things, like it's been a mishmash. Like we haven't seen any consistency or we've been missing a lot of consistency, especially on the defensive side of the ball with guys being out. So I think moving forward, as we start to get guys back, I mean, apparently Justin Foster, I thought was dressed for this game. I thought Tyler Davis was as well. They didn't play. Um, so apparently, I mean, obviously the coaches didn't think we were in any threat of losing this game if they had them ready to go, but decided they didn't need them. Um, but there is a and then there's word. Yeah. I mean, there's word that Xavier Thomas is going to suit up for the Miami game. Who knows if he'll be able to play. Um, yeah. Unclear on Foster, like to your point, he dressed for this game. Um, and yeah, hearing good things about Tyler Davis's recovery too. So I mean, if we get two of those three back, that's a shot in the arm. Um, and we're going to need it because, um, you know, and maybe we stick with the defense here in recapping this game. Um, I just on paper, like thinking about Miami for the longest time, since we realized they are pretty formidable, um, the, you know, Virginia is actually a really good, pro- you know, proxy for the type of Miami team that we're going to face. Um, only Miami is just going to be a lot more talented and probably, um, just an elite level of coaching. Um, I think don't want to take anything away from Mendenhall and I'm spacing on the guy's name. He's got an interesting name. That's their OC at Virginia, but they call it a great game. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They call it a great game with the talent they had and kind of what they were up against and, um, didn't really get it going in the early, early part of the game, but made, made the most of it the rest of the way. Um, I don't know that we're going to have, you know, a quarter and a half of an aptitude for Miami to play with. Right. Well, Again, you had Brennan Armstrong come in. I don't know what we thought we'd expect to get out of him. He's he's certainly a hell of a tough runner. Um, That was obvious after this game. But, yeah, he started the game 0 for 6 passing. His mechanics looked kind of terrible. I did think some passes. Threw two picks. Yeah, threw two picks. um, But ran the ball 22 times. You know, did we see that coming? I don't know. Um, Not what I would have expected, but I didn't know anything about the kid. I I know the coaches know more than – than we do, obviously, but still, there's a lot of lack of tape. And uh, I mean, again, Virginia only played one game, so I think it's just a combination of a lot of things. Um, I think we'll be more prepared and focused yeah. heading into Miami, um, especially now we got a real game under our belt, right? And we roll right off of that into the next week. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing improvement and a, a team with a little bit more focus and sense of urgency. Let me ask you guys, I mean, if you're – if you're Rhett Lashley, Miami's OC, um, what are you attacking first and foremost on this defense? Like, are you going to, are you going to run Derek King out there, you know, 15 times? Well, I, I don't know what the extent that he runs. I haven't watched, I think I've watched one game of theirs and he was definitely scrambling, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the play. Um, if you don't know if Tyler Davis is going to be healthy, if you're, you're their OC. So you just have to assume that you're going to have guys that can't, plug their gaps or maybe a young guy like miles Murphy or Bercy that are overshooting their gaps. And that's going to open up some things, some opportunities to, for the quarterback run. Um, so I think that's their, that's their best option. That's kind of what uh, Virginia was able to capitalize off on it uh, on us that. And obviously I think our pass rush, not being able to get home. And again, hopefully Justin Foster returns and, and, uh, and miles Murphy can come back and that would, that will help a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, Armstrong only ran 10 times in the, in the Duke game. 
So is he a running quarterback? He sure as hell looked like it in our game, but you know, that just could have been the game plan where whether we'll see that with Miami, Derek Keenan is not a run first quarterback. He can run, but he's not a run first quarterback. Um, but to your question, Tully, I think a lot of it has to do with who's actually on the field for Clemson. Um, you kind of got to look at that and respond to it. If Reagan Upshaw's in there playing as much as he has been, sure. Pick on him. Right. Um, good for that kid for everything he's put into the program and working hard and getting the playing time he has, but he's in there because we're missing, you know, a couple of really talented guys. Yeah. One thing I did not uh, rewatch the game guys, but um, did not notice. I think Mike Jones jr. Had a couple of high impact plays in the first couple series, but um, didn't really see his number or name called too much. It's not that he was busting or not involved. I, I it's possible. And you guys rewatch the game. You tell me, um, that they were trying to go away from where Mike Jones was and trying to call away from um, from the same position and kind of move move the offense in that direction. Um, that's also something that maybe maybe worked well. Yeah, I, I didn't see that they went away from him intentionally, but I will say just along the the whole linebacking core looks really good. I mean, it and they they got it. They got their chance. I think they're some sh- very sure-handed tackling. Like you said, Tully, Mike Jones, he looks he looks really good. He's not Isaiah Simmons, but I mean, what, yeah. what can you expect? And then I, I really like Specter. I, I knew he would be good. Um, I, he he moves so fast, and I who I think Chad Smith was playing at the Will last year for the majority of the time, and yeah. Chad was he was good. He was reliable, but I think there's an element of speed that we have now. I mean, you know, you you lose Isaiah Simmons, and you net net you probably are a little bit slower as a core, but. Uh, I think he had something at the, at the will spot. And then of course, Skowski is, he's all conference, all maybe all American good. Well, that's a lot of the reason why um, um, Chad Smith wasn't in the, didn't play much against LSU, right? Uh, we needed more speed on the field. Um, and we're getting that out of uh, Brandon Spector this year. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing out of the linebacker core for the most part. Um, I, I think Mike Jones had a couple maybe missed tackles in this game. Uh, missed tackles were an issue in this game, but fortunately that is something that can be fixed, right? That's not a talent issue. Um, it's yeah. more of a technique issue. Um, but, you know, Specter had a phenomenal game and uh, Skalski is, you know, he's, he has a couple head ringers every single game. He's out there like that guy's a beast. Um so the linebackers, not so much concerned about them at all. We haven't, I don't think we've had to see them a lot in coverage so far this year, um, but I think we'd be fine for the most part with, with Jones and Spectre's speed. Yeah. Going to need another stellar performance from them um, against Miami. So uh, yeah, good, good sign to see, you know, that core doing well. Um, D- Darian Kendrick, he was back on the field. I thought he played an excellent game. Uh, Clemson did not really get beat through the air in this one. Um, it's definitely, definitely on the ground, um, in spots, Virginia kind of moved it through the air, but, um, for the most part, DK lived up to his billing as the top corner. He was definitely missed, um, in previous matchups, but, uh, yeah, good to see him back and, you know, can't say enough about Andrew Booth's interception, you know, stalling that series and just the, you know, athletic acrobatic Beckham junior ask catch, uh, was incredible to see. Yeah, and I think with that, you know, he still has a lot of development that that needs to come uh, before he reaches um, the point where we all know he can be. But what you saw in that interception was a snapshot of that potential, and it was amazing. I mean, that's could very well be 
um, he might win an ESPY for that. You know, <laughs> it's just a hell. It was a hell of an interception. And you've seen his progress this year. I agree. I thought Darren Kendrick played well in this game. Uh, Sheridan Jones continues uh, to improve. So not so much concern with the with the cornerbacks in this game. I, I think it was more on the safety play, specifically Landon Sanders. Yeah. Well, let me let me say one thing about that catch from Booth. Like that's going to be shown on uh, as a, like you said, Ben, it'll be like an SB moment. You'll see it for maybe the rest of this year, maybe even going forward in years to come. And I, I think like, man, that could really impact a kid's psyche. It would like overinflate their ego. And like, you know, if it's, you know, like a running back or something, or, you know, a quarterback, it might actually do them harm. But I think for Booth where he, he was coming from like a, a down year as a freshman coming off injury, had that little fight thing that happened last year. I think it's exactly what you want. You want his ego to go right there with Darian Kendricks and just be like two kind of alpha dogs. So I'm I'm kind I'm really glad that he was the the able to make the catch and the, like all the praise that's coming his way. It's going to benefit him. I agree with what you said. I think the cornerbacks are really good. That's the one thing out of all the th- things that happened in, with the defense and the weaknesses that were kind of exposed. Man, Darian Kendrick is good. He was really good last year and. Nothing that happened again in the national championship game should like skew how you feel. And same for AJ Terrell. He went in the first round, even though he got kind of, he got bested in that game. Darren Kendrick is a lockdown. Like he may be a first round talent. And then, uh, and then Booth and Sheridan Jones are next, uh, next up. I'm really bullish on the, on the corners. And like you said, it was Landon Zanders and, and Charleston are a little bit slow. They're not slow. Their speed's fine, but it, they play, they're playing slow, which is what you would expect from true sophomores that haven't played before. Yeah, well, it was also good to see Mario Goodrich back out there. A little bit rusty, of course, um, missing so much playing time, but slowly adding that depth to that position as well as the experience. So that's good to see. Um, yeah, I was surprised by Landon Zanders in this game. He had a couple missed tackles, one that led to a touchdown. Um, you know, he's defending with his back to the ball. It was not a good game uh, by him by any stretch of the imagination. And then Charleston came in there, played serviceable. Landon Xander's still on the depth chart, uh, first on the depth chart this week, hanging into the, heading into the Miami game. But he's not going to hold that down for long with the competition that's there if we see another performance like that. Um, on the other side of it, Nolan Turner, I thought, played well. Of course, he had that one interception. And that's just a guy, the senior that he is. You see that experience. Cody, you mentioned it before. This is probably as good as we could have expected from a level of play when Nolan Turner came into the program. Um, and he's solid back there. Yeah. Xander's, uh, I do want to talk up his past defense uh, to end a Virginia drive there in the second half. Um, really on this game guys, you know, I thought the defense played solid and uh, three sacks on the night. I think they had four tackles for loss um, and eight passes defense. Uh, which Virginia wasn't really airing it out too much. Um, they had, you know, 40 some odd uh, passing attempts. Um, I guess, you know, they had something like 80 plays run. So, you know, right there where you would expect, but um, to, you know, bat down 20% of those is pretty good um, across the defense. Well, and uh, I three sacks. Yeah, go ahead. I'm not so sure that their game plan coming into it was to run Armstrong as much as they did. I think as they got into the flow of the game and saw what he was able to do and he was able to consistently keep doing it, but then maybe he went with that. Um, listen, Virginia has some tall wide receivers, like the 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six ty- uh, you know, type, including a tight end that's like 6'6", six, six or 6'7", or something like that. So uh, 
with a height advantage like that, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're playing Clemson and Clemson secondary, like you're going up against guys that are like five, 10, five, 11, six, six, one at most. Right. Um, so that to me is an obvious advantage. So I was a little bit surprised um, that you didn't end up seeing them throw the ball more though. Again, I mentioned Armstrong got off to a slow start through the air and the ground game was working for them. Um, so that was a little interesting wrinkle. Again, I, I mentioned it at the top of the show, Virginia threw stuff at us on both sides of the ball. Um, defense obviously included that the coaches were not ready for. Um, I would like to focus on though the, the defensive line in particular, in part because of how good UVA's offensive line was. We knew that coming into the game. It's a group of veteran guys. They're huge guys. And you combine that with the fact we are missing so many people in the front. You saw a lot of three, four in this game, which, um, you know, you think back to last year, how we weren't getting a big push and a lot of pressure on the quarterback. You saw that in this game, maybe that was in part to help spy on Brendan or just take the, you know, the, his running away from them, but whatever it was, it didn't work or at least didn't help us get pressure. And if we're not getting pressure on the quarterback, then they are going to have more success, um, against our secondary, against our safeties. And you, so I think you saw a little bit of that. So I go back to it. I think what the identity of this defense needs to be, if we're going to be a dominant defense this year, is a defense that controls the line of scrimmage and pressures the quarterback and doesn't give them time to throw um, and make big plays. Um, you know, our corners typically jam the line of scrimmage, and that's to cut um, cut down the uh, offense's opposing offense's ability to get short, quick plays. So you take that out of their of their game and you get pressure on the quarterback, then that leads to a lot of stalled offenses and tackles for losses and sacks. But if we're not getting that pressure, then that opens up a whole can of worms for the rest of the defense to have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the whole season kind of boils down to, in terms of our national championship aspirations, it boils down to, can we get Tyler Davis back at 100%? Because again, look, he's not the most talented player on the defense, but he's the best player on the defense as of right now, in my opinion. He opens, he allows Brissy to come to kind of, Brissy doesn't have to be great every play. And if you watch Brissy, sometimes you'll see him blow dudes up. Other times he gets, he gets uh, his pad levels high and he gets uh bested by some by some you know good offensive linemen in the case of Virginia but uh and Miles Murphy I think he's a little bit more advanced but still he's not an every down Cleveland Farrell getting after the uh, quarterback quite yet so I think it boils down to yeah those guys getting home again Henry and Maskell are are talented I think Henry seems to have taken a step forward but he's not quite an you know he's not quite getting there the speed is not quite there so it, it does, it boils down really to those three. I think the freshman coming along and Tyler Davis getting back healthy because you can't manufacture the pass rush in the same way you did last year with Isaiah Simmons because that was you know kind of your only way of, of doing it. I don't think you have quite the speed at the linebacker position. And um, I'm blinking on the freshman's name. I really liked him, uh, the, the, tr- the true freshman North Carolina that's so fast, um, but it's unlikely he's going to play. Ben, is that name? Uh, at what position? Uh, linebacker, oh, outside linebacker, fast guy for North Carolina, five star out of uh, out of North Carolina. Oh, on our team, Trent Simpson. Yep, Trent Simpson. Yeah, yeah. He, he would be the the prototypical guy that you could you could use maybe situationally, but I just don't think it'll happen as a I, as a I, true freshman. I thought you were asking me about Tar Heel freshman linebackers. Sorry, oh, <laughs> you're such a you're such a great listener. <laughs> well, I knew the answer at least. Um, yeah, you did. Yeah. 
Um, I think also just, you know, from this defensive performance, um, 23 points, you know, UVA scored uh, 13 in the second half. They didn't even outscore Clemson guys. And I feel like, you know, my own reaction and some of the fans reaction, you'd have thought Virginia would have gone, you know, 28 points unanswered in the second half. But, um, you know, I thought coach Venables during the game, like you could just look at his demeanor. He was not freaking out over there. And, um, you know, this is just another one of those games where, you know, a lot to clean up a lot, a lot on film. I believe I read some of his quotes and he's like, look, good learning experience from this game. So, um, you know, yeah, we did have a lot of starters in there and they weren't necessarily, um, showing out, but those are coachable moments for them. And you got a lot of valuable, I mean, we had tackles from something like 20, 20 plus guys in this game. Yeah, so you, you've got the scheme part of it, right? And what you expect to get out of the opposing offense. And with only one game of Virginia on tape this year, it's hard to defend that. And then you're going to see things out there that you haven't seen before. Um, as we get further into the season, we're not going to fall into these traps or have these situations as much anymore because we're going to have tape on, on, on opposing teams. We're going to understand the identity of their offense. Um, so the main thing, the other side of that is what we need to focus on is the, the technique tackling and stuff like that. Uh, the mental mistakes of jumping off sides. Those are the things that need to be cleaned up and sooner than later, the other stuff, you know, you can work on, there's time for these guys, these young guys to get better. We, but we do need to get, and we, we're not talking about Xavier Thomas. He could be a huge difference maker if we could get him back in there. Um, you, you pair him on one side with miles Murphy on the other side at end with Brze and, and Tyler Davis uh, at tackle. Think about the, the potential of that defensive line and how much havoc they could wreak on opposing offenses. But you're not going to get that with Reagan Upshaw, Niles Pickney, and Justin Maskell, right? In a three-man front. Yeah, there, there's uh, that's part of it. There's Like you said, there's a lot of improvement and cleaning things up, but – I'm still bullish on Landon Zanders. I think he'll be, I know he's kind of, I think he's taking bad angles in pursuit. We have seen some, some coverage ability. We've seen like maybe a couple of coverage lapses from him too, but I, I really think he's, he's one of the more talented safeties who just has excellent ball skills and, and really good instincts, even though he hasn't really shown that yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm bullish about him. And like you said, Ben, once you, once you get the freshman, just like, teeing off at the line of scrimmage i I'm, I'm bullish about the pass rush as well so it's just a matter of time i this is another another uh fall or what it was it october now uh late september october where we're thinking that we might be the kind of early early season juggernaut but hey it's six years running and we're still not an early season juggernaut we just never will be i don't know if i don't know how much of it is is on purpose or it's just we're just that much of late starters i don't know yeah, we think we're some well-oiled machine after beating down Wake Forest and the Citadel. We're guilty of that, the three of us ourselves, you know, because we thought after the first two games, like, well, this, you know, you heard the comments of like, Clemson looks like they haven't missed a beat and every other team in the country is uh, hasn't played in eight months or whatever. Um, no, it's not the case. You play, you play a decent, experienced football team with a great head coach in Bronco Mendenhall and the culture that he's bit, has built there. And I mean, just to step back and say that about the entire Virginia program is they're on an upwards trajectory for sure. I think 
Mendenhall is putting together um, a really good staff and a really good culture and a program there that, you know, we could see Virginia continue to rise and, and stay as, I'm not going to call them the powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination, but be one of the better teams in the league here moving forward for the next several years. Yeah, I mean, he came over from BYU in 2015, basically for the 2016 season. I think that was when Fuente came over and uh, Dino Babers started then, and also Mark Richt uh, at Miami. And among those ACC coaches, I mean, he's, um, he won the Coastal once, Fuente won the Coastal once. Um, You you probably got to say he's, he's probably achieved more than those other guys. Um, I guess Rick's also won the coastal one time, but he no longer has a job. He's working at the ACC network. Um, so yeah, I mean, Mendenhall came in from BYU. Virginia was pretty moribund before that. And, um, his kids names guys, I don't know if you ever looked these up. Um, breaker Raider and cutter Mendenhall are his, are his three children. Pretty, pretty special names. It's amazing. He's got a, um, very lenient wife, I guess, or understanding wife. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's a football family. That's for sure. True. Um, that's, that's a good point. I will point out yeah. that of all those coaches, only one is B. Clemson, and that was Dino Babers. Yeah. Wait, did you say breaker, breaker, cutter, and was it Shredder? What was the third Ra- one? Raider, although it's spelled R-A-E-D-E-R. Ra- wow. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, I, I like it. Uh, well, guys, speaking of uh, kind of early season, you know, you can set your watch by it, kind of Clemson fan complaints. Why don't we flip it to the offense? All right. Clemson in this game against Virginia uh, put up 41 points, you know, no, no slash of an effort. 41 points on uh, 70 plays in this game. Uh, yet another stellar performance from Trevor Lawrence. He is dialed in. Um, despite Virginia's best efforts to contain Travis Etienne, he still went for 73 yards on 14 carries. He was also Clemson's leading receiver. Uh, great effort by the Tigers one, two punch of their seasoned veterans. Um, you know, we were, Ben, you mentioned it in the early going, uh, without Joseph Mangata's availability in this game. Um, so the ball was spread around quite a bit, um, throughout the offense. And I think we are missing you know, Joe Ngata and the versatility that he gives uh, the coaching staff in sideline, sideline passing. Well, that's um, the they thing. definitely, he, yeah. he, he did play in this game and he played in the last game. I thought um, just not much. He did have a target in this game, at least one. Um, I think he was out there for like 16 plays in this game. So I'm wondering like, why is he, why is he out there if he's still injured and too injured to be effective is my question. Um, I don't know if it's a thing where he thinks he can go and then he gets out there and he's having issues with his abs strain. Um, it's, it's, it's very curious to me, but we haven't noticed him. I know you didn't notice him, obviously, in this game, but he did get one target yeah. on 16 snaps. Um, the, on the bright side, though, Frank Latson's really starting to stand out. He certainly is. And just quickly on Ngata, like uh, an ab strain is definitely one where it's just about pain management and pain control. And um, you hope it's not something more serious than that, like a sports hernia, which would require him to sit a lot longer. Um, so that's something just, you know, and again, uh, cannot imagine the, the degree of pain that he's going through with that being unable to go here. But we do hope like yet another week of rehabbing that and resting um, has him ready to contribute in this Miami game this weekend. 
Yeah, that's why I just wonder why he's in there in the first place, why you just hold him out completely and if he's not fully recovered. But, you know, we don't have all the – we you know, we're not in the know, so we're just speculating um, at this point. But um, I would say overall on the offensive side of the ball, it's a little bit the same thing as the defense, right? It was a lot of fundamentals. It was a combination of things. There was penalties. Uh, Trevor had some overthrows in this game. He wasn't perfect and completely accurate in this game. He missed some throws. There were missed blocks, you know, not by guys like necessarily like Cade Stewart or Will Putnam. It was, uh, you know, Jackson Carmen missed a block that led to a sack. Uh, Matt Bockhorst. Um, and then there's the play calling. Why, why are we not throwing the ball over the middle? Like we talked about coming into the season about how that was going to be something that Clemson was able to get back to with the reemergence of Braden Galloway and Mari Rogers, um, you know, sent Cornell Powell across the middle, but we were not doing it all in this game, which is, which is odd because their linebackers are not good in coverage. Like they're downhill guys. They defend the run. They're not good in coverage. So I'm surprised we didn't pick on that anymore. Were we holding anything back um, heading into Miami, the Miami game next week, or like we usually do earlier in the season? I don't know. It's a good question. We were testing, we were going over the middle of the first two games of the year. So I don't know. Um, so really, I mean, that's the play calling part of it. I think there was just a lot of combinations of things where, yeah, you just don't see the chemistry and the identity yet of this team. And really the, all you saw more than anything out there on the field was three studs carrying the team. And that was Lawrence ETN and Amari Rogers. Yeah. With a little bit of Ladson. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I know I've talked, I've texted with you guys, and you guys know where I stand. But I'll, I'll let the audience know it's, it's it's to me it's 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 the blandness of the play calling. It's the predictable, like it's it's very predictable. And even on the rewatch, actually, I could see what Tony Elliott was doing, like, and it actually made more sense again in the second watch. But the fact that I can see it so clearly, I'm pretty sure a you know a million dollar defensive coordinator or whatever he makes at Virginia is going to be able to figure out what Tony Elliott's doing. He's clearly like every every play, every uh, series, it's first or second down, it's going to Etienne. So the, the defense was completely selling out to stop Etienne. And on those little zone reads with Trevor Lawrence, Trevor ran a couple. And if they do, if he does run a couple, he's got 10 yards, six, seven yards at minimum. But that's that's the trade-off you take. You get a shot at Trevor Lawrence in the open field, you take that every day. Maybe you maybe he gets hurt or you hobble he gets hobbled. That's a, that's a win from their from their standpoint. So stop them on you get one down where you you can stop them, and then that was kind of exacerbated by again some penalties, um, some some blitzes. Uh, I would say their secondary played really well, and then Trevor Lawrence was making passes, but to make pass after pass after pass, he wasn't able to sustain the drive. So they were getting us off the field. Not every series, obviously, but they were able to stop us with a pretty good, pretty fair. Uh, rate at a pretty fair rate, I would say. And all that is, again, is I think it's the predictable nature of Tony Elliott's trying to get the, establish the run, open up play action or some kind of RPO game, but you can get ETM the ball in other ways. As, as you saw, um, I think just through happenstance, we converted a couple of third downs to ETM when, with some checkdowns. It was two, at least maybe three third and longs that he converted all by himself. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think QT over at Shake the Southland put, uh, this in his game recap when it comes down to it like that's the guy we need to lean on obviously the armor trevor lawrence though and amari rogers but getting et in the ball getting the ball in et's hands as much as possible especially getting it to him in space you do that and let this kid go he's going to be the greatest running back in the history of clemson football um he's just a, such a dynamic playmaker and 
wow, look at where his receiving has come, right? From his freshman and sophomore year to what he was able to do this year. He, in this game, um, his, what, 114 yards broke C.J. Spiller's record uh, for the most receiving yards by a running back in a game. He scored a touchdown in his 38th different game in his career, which is, is tied the FBS record. Uh, for most career games with a touchdown. And so he's going to break that and he's going to be the, uh, the guy that holds that record after all is said and done by a wide margin. Right. So just an amazing uh, career he's had. And it just lets you go to show like how much, how much we really need him and how much we will need to depend on him. So I do think you're right, Cody, though, we need to find other creative ways because we're not getting that punch up the middle this year. Um, running the ball between the tackles. Like you're just, you're seeing ETN get stopped at the line of scrimmage, but there, there are more ways to be creative, right? There's other ways to do this and get him the ball. And we just need to start going to that. We've got frustrated with this last year. Stop trying to run into traffic right up the middle, get ET ball, ETN, uh, the ball out in space on the edge, let him do his work. And, and there was, and to, in fairness, like I, there were some screen passes, some end rounds. Uh, there was one to Spectre that I was like, is that really the guy? I think yeah. he said the same thing, but I did say it in the moment. So we thought we had the same thought. It's like, is that really the guy you want running that? And Well, uh, well my, my reaction to that was once ETN gets the ball in his hands, why was he giving up to anybody else? <laughs> like, yeah. And he had room to run on that side. But you know, to, to your point, Ben, or I guess I, I, you cited Quacking Tiger was that he's the guy we lean on and rely on Etienne. Why is that the case? Why is it that we have, and, and I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to gripe because like the offense looks good. It was, it was a little rusty off a of bye week, but why are we leaning on, granted, the, maybe the best running back in school history, uh, when you have maybe one of the best college quarterbacks that's come through the game in 30 years, at least when you talk about pure talent, like why is that not the guy we're relying on? It's a quarterback's game. I don't know. I, it's, I, I feel like there's, there's more that we can, we a higher level we can help get Trevor to. And I say, we, I mean, the offense should be able to get him to. And I don't think inexperienced wide receivers, it's not sufficient for me. Like, woe is me because we don't have T Higgins and Justin Ross. Like we still have the best receiving core in the ACC and any, most anyone division one team would be very happy to have our, our wide receiver crew. So like, I, I don't know. Help me out, guys. What well, am I missing? Uh, yeah, I wasn't necessarily saying in this game, but I'm saying it is something he's going to have to establish when we go up against better competition. Like he's our workhorse, and he can do more with the ball in his hands than anybody else in that field. Um, now, to your I, point, I'm, yeah, I mean, to, to your point about Trevor, um, and why aren't we able to generate more with him? I think part of it is due to the wide receivers, just because he doesn't have that alpha wide receiver yet. When T Higgins or Justin Ross, will just go up and, and take the ball from somebody. Um, your Mike Williams of the past, um, the six, five guy that will go up high point and, and get the ball, get those 90% of those 50, 50 balls. Uh, but what he does have the ability to do is put the ball on a rope to any spot on the field, specifically the middle of the field, right? Allow him to do that. that well, that's what you want for a six, six guy that has yeah. good vision and a great arm, arm talent. Like you want him to be able to sit in the pocket, which his presence in the pocket even looks better this year. I think, I feel like he's more composed. He's sensing pressure a little bit better. You want him to look straight ahead and, and dissect from that angle and nothing. So, and that, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tilly. Well, all I was going to say is I'm sitting over here. I'm reserving judgment till after we are playing four quarters of the game of one score game or closer or, who knows? Maybe we have a three score lead against Miami the whole way. Maybe they jumped out, jump out to a three score lead. But I guess like until the entire team's back is up against the wall, like 
I'm, we know Tony Elliott, like guys, like how many years in a row have we seen kind of the offense, you see kind of flashes in the game and they kind of put it, put it back in the bag. And uh, there were some series. (laughs) It it absolutely is. It's why we have a podcast and people listen to us to come here and hear us break it down and hear us complain about it. Like we get it, but I'm not panicking. I have not hit any panic buttons yet. Um, especially not for this offense. You're, no, you're right, Tully. And I, 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 I like that you're tempered. Um, and I guess my thing is like, I'm not saying this, this means we, we, we can't be a national championship contender or I'm just saying I'm as a fan, I'm frustrated that I'm not seeing Trevor Lawrence just go down up and down the field with 400, 500 yard passing games, five, four or five touchdowns. I feel like he's going to be in the NFL next year. And he's going to be doing some just – we're going to watch him on Sundays just do some stupid things to NFL teams as a rookie. And we're going to be like, wait a minute. He, he did that. He passed for 400 yards against the Packers, but he couldn't pass for you know 300 yards against Virginia. Like, that's, I think we're going to have that takeaway. I just don't – I want to see the best of Trevor Lawrence while he's still here. I mean, to be fair, he did throw for 329 yards in this game. And now 314 consecutive passes without an interception. At least we don't have that to complain about this year. Yeah, no complaints at all, actually. Um, but yeah, no, I know what you mean, Cody. I mean, it would just be great to see, you know, Clemson fire on all cylinders as a shortened season. Um, you know, is this the year the coaching staff just takes the takes the governor off the off the golf cart and just lets it ride and we get a Heisman, you know, maybe two guys to Manhattan, that'd be great, right? Um, I don't know. It just kind of seems like they got the formula for making it to the playoff, you know, keeping enough tricks up their sleeve to be able to make it work in the playoff. Um, yeah. I, it would be nice to have both, but, um, you know, kind of just going to go with the proven formula at this point. I mean, we did go to Braden Galloway a fair bit in this game. He only had two receptions. Um, Trevor overthrew him a couple of times. So, I mean, there is that. And he had some, listen, he had some great throws in this game. I don't know. We're just, well, and I think, I think part of the, um, a little bit of the anxiety is where we want, we're like, where's the identity? What's the identity? You know, we get concerned if we don't know what the identity is. And now it just seems like we're beating people on sheer talent alone, which is fine. We can certainly afford to do that. And if the real reason is, like it is a huge advantage to keep all this stuff buried in the playbook until we get to the playoffs and pull it out. So people haven't seen it before then fine. You know, these coaches have won some national championships recently, if I recall. So perhaps we should trust them more. Um, but yeah, I think it's just that anxiety of waiting for, for kind of the inconsistency, you know, to, to kind of us to move past those and form some, some sort of identity on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Well, and I, actually, I think we didn't quite. Sorry, I, I think we didn't quite reach our potential last year as an offense. Ultimately, I think you know probably cost us in the national championship. Again, no, no, not bitter about that at all because that was one of the best teams of all time. But I think, you, like you said, Ben, not having an offensive identity is where we are again uh, without T. Higgins. Granted, we do have a guy named Etienne, so I think we'll, we'll be okay. But I don't know. It would just be good to see us come out firing and breaking tendencies. I mean, there is some benefit in breaking a tendency and in, in passing on first, second, and third down every now and then just to keep uh, the, the DC that's prepping for you honest. Yeah, Cody, I was going to make the point, and you pretty much nailed it. Like, 
a year ago, I don't necessarily know that the offense reached its ceiling. And when you do have that game where maybe where, you know, Trevor's alpha option isn't necessarily working out, like what is the, what's the pivot? What do you do? I think we did see that against Ohio state. Um, they got Trevor involved in the running game. They got ETN involved in the passing game more and that won the day. Um, weren't able to make that adjustment with LSU. Um, you know, maybe enough of, enough of that was on Trevor himself. There were some drops for sure. There was some uh, officiating interference there, but um, yeah, kind of having sort of like a multiple personality, like definitely knowing the identity is going to be critical, uh, but also being multiple personality and the ability to, you know, damage a defense in multiple ways. Um, but yeah, I think just the, if I had to just sum up my feelings on the offense, it is really though, you got to free Travis. Like we have to find opportunities to, have him involved really in, in, on all three downs. Um, now, Cody, to your point, don't be predictable with it. At, at least, at least look like you're trying to get one of these guys a Heisman, right? I suppose. I mean, like, all right. In fairness to Tony Elliott, everyone gave him a ton of, you know, what uh, for not running Etn. I mean, free Etn. That's what you just said, totally. Like. I get it. He's getting, I mean, he's probably like, damn it. If I do, damn it. If I don't, he's like these podcast guys, they never give me any credit, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but I mean, there is, there is, there are ways like it doesn't always have to be, uh, establish the run to open up the pass. Like when you have Trevor Lawrence, you could just start with the, with the pass and then use that to open up ET and it can work either way. And you can even check it down to ET now with his kind of the, uh, his evolving pass catching ability. Like there's, there's different wrinkles. Like you said, just being multiple totally. Like that's, that's, that's all I ask as a, as a, as a fan that will never be fulfilled. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, and just even getting ETN carries, uh, on the edge or on the outside, that'll loosen up the middle of the defense as well. So, I mean, to play devil's advocate here, you know, we often talk about how all these teams, every time one of these teams comes into Clemson, for the most part, they're throwing the kitchen sink at us, right? They're opening up the playbook and throwing everything they have at us. That's what Virginia did in, you know, in part in this game um, with all their exotic looks on both sides of the ball. But what team on our schedule are you going to say that about Clemson? None. Like there should be no team that we need to go in there and throw the kitchen sink at them. Right. Until we get to the playoffs. Those are the teams where we need to get creative um, against. So there is that, there's that perspective. I mean, let's talk a little bit about this Virginia game. I think we're, we're kind of looking ahead a little bit with the offense, but um, I thought the line play was actually fairly average in this game. And you could just sum up the whole game. I mean, Clemson pretty much lost in the trenches and still won by 18 points. And two interceptions helped with that. Travis Etienne getting extending drives on third down, almost single-handedly helped with that, um, including you know that crazy uh, scoring play where he somehow kept his balance. Uh, but you know that it does reveal a little bit, you know, the, the potential floor or lack of ceiling. I guess you want to say it. Uh, at the offensive line. And that was one of our top two concerns coming into the season was, you know, continuity on the O line and what you get out of, you know, really once you start to get into the backups and, um, you know, again, Virginia, a lot of experience on their D line and they're a well-coached crew, but Miami is going to have a lot more talent up front. And that's something that, um, you know, keeping, keeping Trevor upright and, able to look downfield um, is going to be critical to getting the W. 
I, I think that's a legitimate concern on the off. And I, I guess, yeah, I, I think you have to make the distinction a little bit between run blocking and pass blocking, because I, I don't think we were able to get much push, especially uh, in the middle of the offensive line. Uh, but I think we did a good job of, and I've, we've done this now for a couple of years, keeping Trevor clean in the pocket. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I was happy with the offensive line. I think I, I you know, I don't, we're not going to win by being a, a, you know, ground and pound type team, even with the ETN, but we can still win a championship with them just keeping, well, they have to stay healthy first, but, but keeping Trevor healthy, I think that would be sufficient. Yeah. I don't think a, the offensive line is at any point close to being a liability right now. I thought they played fine in this game. They didn't do everything perfect. Um, but they held up against a really good defensive line. Trevor did not hit the ground much. Um, so oh, had two sacks in the day, they did have five tackles for loss. So, and that was in, in part of us trying to, to pound the ball up the middle, but so far this year, I think they've been a good offensive line. I think they'll get the job done. We do have to worry about if there are some injuries, like Cody mentioned, there are some depth issues, but I think if our, if our five starters can stay out there, continue to gel, continue to get better, that ultimately we're going to be just fine. Um, I think the bigger question is, is can we develop um, real depth going into the playoffs? Because when we get into the playoffs, you're sure there's a hell of a lot better off if your starting offensive line isn't having to play all 70, 80 steps of the game you can cycle some guys in there to spell them. That would ultimately be the ideal situation. Yeah. Just, I guess some other notes, Ben, from this game, and you can maybe chalk some of this up to rust. Um, there are a few kind of critical drops or, or missed, I guess you want to call them assignments um, that, you know, cut drive short, like Lynn J Dixon open field right ahead of him was really excited to see what he could do. Um, what a brilliant play call to kind of leak him out and be able to hit him. And unfortunately just completely whiffed on that one. Um, I was just mostly sad for the kid and he was called for kind of a ticky tack. Uh, I think it was like a late hit or unsportsmanlike something like that early on in the game. That was not, I, hopefully I, I saw Dabo chewing him out a little bit, but, um, ultimately I don't think it was really any, anything wrong with Lynn. Yeah, it was like a block away from the ball or something that was, that was yeah. petty. Yeah. That was pretty petty. Super. But these yeah. this, this are the things I'm talking about. It was those little things here and there, fundamental issues, mental issue, uh, lapses um, that you saw in abundance in this game. And I think more than anything else, those are the things that, uh, you know, once they all built up, it ended up um, in us being a little bit disappointed in what we saw because it didn't look like a polished team, a polished performance. That said, it's still an 18-point win, and all of these things are correctable. Yeah, it, it was a lot of rust. And this is definitely the time of year where this happened. This has happened six years in a row now. Clemson, the national headlines. This is where Alabama jumps us. They look better. Clearly, they're the national championship uh, team to beat. And Clemson, I bet, you know, they're just an imposter. That You'll start hearing it. Just, just mm-hmm. give it time. It, no, it, exactly. But we know at the end of the day, because we've seen it before, that it doesn't matter how well Alabama's playing right now does not matter one bit. We don't need to pay attention to them. I mean, we can pay attention to them for entertainment value, but don't look at them um, in their current state and how they're playing. I mean, like, there's no way we'll beat them like this. Well, we're not playing them right now. Yeah. And one other thought I ha- I've, I've had recently is, like, I know the narrative or the stereotype of playing in the ACC kind of dulls your blade. I really do think it does a little bit. And, you know, Virginia is a solid team, but it's not quite like the SEC West. It's not playing in and out of Georgia. 
And I think there is an element of like, we can coast a little, we don't have to be as sharp as, but we don't have to show our hand on offense and we don't have to implement wrinkles. Does that hurt us? Like, Hey, we're doing just fine. Maybe it hurt us last year in the nat- in the natty maybe, but so I don't know. I think maybe our strategy is the right strategy, but it, it is a factor I think. And Hey, I'm glad that Miami is a better team this year. They seem to be. Cause I think you have to put some things on film for Notre Dame. Yeah, I agree with you, Cody. I mean, certainly we do have an easier path uh, to the playoff just because the ACC is not a top caliber conference and they haven't been for the last several years. I do think it makes a difference in how you approach it, though, depending on whether you have a veteran group of guys versus um, a team full of freshmen and sophomores, which is for the most part what we have, except for our you know key guys on offense. Um, so I think there does need to be that, that more of a sense of urgency in these games, even when you're supposed to blow these teams away. Perhaps you should be playing some of these guys a little bit longer and not throwing in the, 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 the scout team against the Citadel, but keeping your like at least third string, some second string guys out there that are freshmen and sophomores to continue to get experience and build that stamina that you need throughout the season. Um, because I, I do think it hurt us a little bit last year. We didn't, you know, we got punched in the mouth by Ohio state. No, clearly, um, you know, we were very evenly matched with them, ultimately fortunate enough to win that game. We could have beaten LSU. There was a scenario when, you know, where that could have happened because we had opportunities early on in that game. Um, we just weren't, you know, part of the reason was we, we weren't as battle tested um, as these other teams. Um, part of the reason is that LSU was a hell of a football team, right? Um, so we're not going to get that same test um, game in, game out as a team like Alabama is. So when I'm looking at a team full of freshmen, a lot of freshmen and sophomores are relying on, then I think we do want to take it a little bit more serious and, you know, not take for granted that we're going to blow teams out, but, you know, keep them in there, get them playing, coach them up. Um, It's not like when we had the power Rangers out there where you can pull them after the first, you know, quarter, second quarter and think that they're not gonna lose their edge. Right. Whereas these guys maybe need a little bit more experience in coaching up for that not to happen. Guys, can we talk about the best play of the game? Are we already talked about Andrew Booth's. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is the best play. Uh, the player I was really excited about. I actually wanted to call out Tim Hasselback. He was a color guy. Uh, very good. He broke down plays. He kind of talked to you what was going on with schemes, kind of the game within the game. Um, if you all rewatch it, definitely tune in to Tim Hasselback's commentary. But um, there was a pass play, and I'm spacing right now what stage of the game it was in. I apologize for that. But it went to Braden Galloway, and it was – he, you know, Tim Hasselbeck called it straight out of the Kansas City Chiefs playbook um, where it was basically almost like a, you know, get the rest of the offense moving forward and just dump it off to Braden Galloway. Went for a huge gain. Um, those kind of wrinkles, like I, I believe Tony Elliott is mixing in here and there. You're just not going to see a sustain on a drive. He's not going to throw like – you know, 10 to 15 exciting plays in a game at this stage against a Virginia. It's just not going right. to happen, but great to see him kind of branching out a little bit and, you know, kind of testing the boundaries of what this offense could do. Um, I think that's, you know, honestly, like it might be a little bit of a grind this season. You got to look for those moments and get excited about it. You know, I, I, I totally agree. We're not going to see 15 of those plays a game, nor should we. And you know what, when we're, when we're blowing teams, out of the water and we're up by 35 on them at halftime. Then we're complaining about, we don't play any teams to give us competition. The games are boring. Right. So how do you please us? I don't know. I have no clue. We'll complain about anything, I guess. 
Yeah. Again, after the second watch, it, I thought Elliot, I could at least see what he was doing. And there was that wrinkle that you mentioned, Tully and Hasselback was good. I, by the way, um, some positive and some negative, cause I can't just be all positive. You guys know me. I, I really appreciate with Tony Romo. Like, I feel like this new, um, more analytical and more kind of educated football mind in the, doing the, the, the color commentary has been more of a, more of the thing. And it's like, I, I think fans have been wanting this for a long time. Like what's, what's going on? What's the game behind the game? Tony Romo is like, people love him and he does a great job. Hasselback was solid. Um, I think Herb Street's always been one of the best. And uh, I'd like to see more of that in the college game. Like, tell us what's going on. Give us the X's and O's. And uh, hopefully that keeps up. Um, the negative note is the ACC at, you mentioned Mark Rick, the ACC post game. God, that is, that is such a buzzkill. It is so bad. Um, and Eric McClain's really good on the microphone, but he's, let's just say uh, his teammates are dragging him down. Don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Why do you watch it? I, you're, that's a great question. That's a great question. I think <laughs> so, we should adopt Eric McClain and get him on the podcast. I've, I've got no gripes against the the host of that show. Um, he's new this year, but I think there was a lot of chemistry last year with Chris Collinsworth's kid, Jack, who was sort of the host. Um, it was their first year on the network last year. I thought he did a great job with those three guys, like getting a lot out of them. Cody, I think the answer, like the non-cynical answer is they're not together in that studio. Like they're yeah. all remote. Um, I'll speak for myself. Like I have a hard time seeing the same people every day on a Zoom call and bringing the energy then too. So I know where they're coming from with that. But also EJ Manuel, Florida State, the state of their program, no surprise he's not energetic. Well, and, and Tully, what you just subscribe, uh, just described is happening in real time right now as we speak. I don't know what you're talking about, Ben. Yeah. A lot of energy on this show right now. Listen to yourself. We're just experts. We've been doing this. I mean, we're much better in person. We're veterans. We're seasoned vets. That is, but no, you're right, Tully. It's definitely the remote thing. I know that that's a factor, but I'll call a spade a spade. You're right. The 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 normal guy that's anchoring now is pretty solid. EJ Manuel needs to study up. That dude needs to do his homework. And Mark Rick just said, "I don't really care. I'm you know I'm you know making pretty solid money doing this, and I'm like putting in no time and no effort." He said that in his one year at Miami too. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) He's putting about that same effort uh, and, and playing a lot of golf, I imagine. Uh, whatever. But it's it's really bad. And, I mean, I'd like to say that like, I know what they're trying to do with the branding the ACC. It's not the best look. And it's not Eric McClain's fault. Yeah, I do, I do want to take a moment. Um, we want to shout out and send our very best wishes to Bobby Bowden. He was diagnosed with COVID, I think, today, maybe yesterday. Um, Long time rival of Clemson's, you know, legend of a coach. Loved to beat his teams, hated to lose to his teams, but always respected him. Hope he recovers. And screw the Knolls. <laughs> They're screwing themselves right now. I think we're okay. Uh, it's so yeah. fun to watch, too. Let's pivot off the offense, guys. Okay, special teams. Uh, where are we at on this one? So Will Spires, only three punts on the night. With how the team played, with kind of the, you know, stuck in the mud feel that it seemed to have for a while, little surprise we only had Will Spires in there for three series. Um, did fine. Average of 38 yards, long of 43. Um, no real complaints like, like about Spires. Um, would have loved to see some booming kicks, but uh, we will take that from him. And 
BT Potter, Mr. Consistency, all of a sudden, uh, two for two with a 47 yarder, five, five for five on extra points. I mean, he's just padding his stats at this stage of consecutive games or, you know, yeah, I think consecutive PAT attempts. Um, he's got to be close to a hundred now, um, in a row. So good job, BT. Yeah. I mean, we haven't complained about him in quite some time. Um, he's absolutely solid now he's hitting everything. I mean, he's hitting the field goals from 45 plus with ease, um, striking them. Well, they're right down the middle middle. Um, and he's been better, um, in that lower range, uh, this year as well too. So that's certainly a strength and that's something that, well, even you look in this game, like those, those two field goals made a difference. You take those two field goals away and those two interceptions away, it'd be a much closer ball game. Um, so the stuff like that matters and it's going to certainly matter when we play better competition. Yeah. So really nothing to speak of in the returning game. Um, only one kick return attempt that wasn't a touchback or, you know, a fair catch. And then likewise for punt returns, uh, Lynn J. Dixon though, did take that ball back 52 yards um, on his return. And that was, that was in the early going, I believe. So, um, you know, props to Lynn J for that reestablishing himself on this team. I do wonder if the coaching staff got Lynn J a little bit more involved. Uh, what with the departure of DeMarcus Bowman this week, we'll touch on that here in a few minutes. Um, but I also wanted to call out, you know, the contributions back on offense for a minute of Ches Malusi um, late in the game. I think Ches is definitely going to be stepping into that number three back role. I'll do respect to Darian Rencher. I feel like Malusi um, is, is going to be a little bit more capable in the North South running game. So, um, you know, good to see that from Ches. I think Lynn J Dixon, uh, again, mentioned the dropped pass, but the more he can get in a rhythm with this offense and kind of establish himself, you know, that's going to be able to spell Travis Etienne. Um, there may be a game that we are without Travis Etienne in this, in this season where we need a win. And Lin Jay is definitely a capable backup there and good to have Ches Malusi um, kind of establishing himself too. Yeah. This is another weird thing. I think DeMarcus Bowman was returning kicks um, the first two games of the season. So uh, but wasn't ETN, didn't he, what, did, wasn't he returning in the Wake Forest game? Like I'm a little bit like, yeah, so Kendrick, curious Kendrick's about, been on. yeah, it's just a little bit curious about how they're using the personnel. I know we started getting ETN and the returning kicks last year against South Carolina, but you know, you don't necessarily do that early in the season and risk having injury, especially when you don't need it. So I would love to see Lin Jay back there some more. Um, yeah. I mean, that 52 yarder was the, the, the first of the, um, that was on the opening kickoff. Yeah, it was great. So more of that, please. But I agree, Ben. I mean, in the CJ Spiller era, we didn't have the luxury of not having him return kicks. That was the majority of the point production in the in the team at that stage. But uh, very, very deep, very talented from the Clemson standpoint, especially at the skill positions. So I'm even feeling, you know, in the punt return game, like Mari Rogers, Darian Kendrick, like let's get EJ Williams out there. Like, let's get some of the younger guys. You know, we definitely want some, you want people that are sure handed and you definitely want guys that, you know, are up to the task. Um, but Rogers and Kendrick, pretty critical players to this team. Yeah. I think EJ Williams needs to put on some more weight before we start having him return kicks. It's fair. All right. Well, Let's move off the Virginia game. You know, a solid win for Clemson, I believe, or I imagine, I didn't look. We probably lost some first place votes to Alabama in the AP poll. Who we cares? Um, but yeah, you know, continue to be number one. You know, we will host Miami this weekend. 
pretty sure it's game day, right, guys? ESPN game day. It is. Yeah, I'd be shocked if it wasn't. So top 10 matchup. Uh, the Hurricanes come in. They are off a bye week. Uh, previous to that, a bludgeoning of Florida State. Um, no major takeaways from that, just with the state of the FSU program. But FSU is talented up front. Um, I think Miami's O-line capably handled them. I don't know what type of output and performance you got from FSU in that game. So, um, you know, maybe if you're going to rewatch games, find one of the earlier Miami games, because I don't know if the FSU one will be that educational. Um, but, you know, they're going to be a formidable foe coming this Saturday. And it is one of those situations where, man, you know, if the capacity were even at half strength, you know, you'd, you'd expect a little bit more of a home field advantage. So it is a bit of a bummer and a drag. Um, but that said, you know, we know the Tigers will be up for this one and, you know, it should be a great, great matchup. Uh, honestly, guys, like I was having the Notre Dame game this year as the biggest Clemson regular season game since Louisville 2016. But I got to say this Miami one may be even more hyped up. I think in hindsight that this may not be as tough of a matchup as we think it's going to be going in. Um, We'll see, though. I think you're going to see a more focused Clemson team coming out uh, next week. I think you're going to see a little bit tightened up play calling um, with a little bit more wrinkles just with the kind of the pressure coming out of this game, the, the, t- the team not looking great, looking a little bit sloppy. But I really do think it comes down to a little bit more of the focus. The rust is now starting to shake off. Um, you have three games under our belt now. You're going to have guys like Justin Foster and Tyler Davis back in there, hopefully. Um so we'll see. I mean, you look at the Miami schedule. Yeah, they've they've they're three and zero, but that's against UAB, Louisville, and FSU. So, yeah, this was this could be a classic. Just bet the cover for for Clemson. Sorry, Tully, you might be uh, this might be the week for you. But I mean, I, I I after all this, you know, griping over Clemson's performance against UVA, it's. They're, I think they're going to blow the doors off of Miami. And, I, and that might not mean, you know, winning by 50 like we've done before, but it, it, I do think we'll cover the spread, which I think is 16 points, right? Yeah, it could be like a 38-14 game or something like that, and we would still would consider that handling them. I mean, what, they're the number seven team in the country right now? Sure. Yeah, I think so. And and the reasons that I think we'll blow the doors off of them is for the reasons you mentioned, Ben, a healthy defensive line. I think Venables is going to give uh, their quarterback King looks. Uh, that's going to make him – he is a little bit erratic, a little prone to gunslinging. I think we have the cover corners to to make his life tough. And then I think we have the guys up front that are going to create pressure. On top of that, you have Venables that's going to throw his on mix or his on assortment of pressure. And I think it's going to make life really uncomfortable for King. That said, is this this is definitely one of those if the ball bounces their ways, uh, it, you know, five out of the six times that we we could definitely lose. But I think it's going to take a lot, a lot of things conspiring together, the universe being one for us to lose. But if if we were to lose, you would tend to think it's in a high scoring situation, right? I don't think so. I think it'd be more like the North Carolina game where we lose uh, a potentially low, like we just can't get the offense going for for whatever reasons. Um, but not, yeah, I mean, I think we score more than 14. But that, you know. that would be very disappointing considering the fact that, you know, you got Trevor Lawrence in his third year and ETN in his fourth year. I think then you would really start, you know, I think a lot of our 
concern or criticism of Tody Elliott out of the Virginia game may be somewhat unwarranted, um, considering, again, we've mentioned what, how we've seen this in the past. But we don't want to go into the Miami game and look like that. There's kind of no excuse for that. Um, I think more than anything, they may have you know, not gone deep into the playbook in, Virginia, in the Virginia game for a reason, and that's with looking ahead to Miami, who has a better defensive front than Virginia does in a defense as a total. Yeah, I mean, something that I'm just conscious of, like, I agree with everything you said, Cody, regarding what BB can do with Derek King. Um, I'm just curious, you know, it'll be interesting just to see this scheme go up against Brent Venables. Like, you know, Lashley was at SMU. He was at Auburn back in the kind of Gus Malzahn glory early three, four-year era. He was Malzahn's OC at Auburn. Um, You know, it's sort of back in, they made a national championship run in 2013, um, ultimately lost Florida State. And then after that, Clemson beat them a few times. So, um we've seen it happen before. Like Brent Venables has shut down his offenses before. Um, but I don't know if he had, I mean, look, Auburn always very talented. I was going to say, you know, I don't know if he had this type of personnel, but De'Ara King is unquestionably the best quarterback that he's worked with that we will have faced. And it is one of those where if they're just clicking, you know, on this day, I mean, I don't know. They're, they're basically touting Rhett Lashley and De'Ara King is like the poor man's version of, um, Joe Brady and uh, what am I spacing on Joe Burrow, Burrow, the Joes, Joe Brady, Joe Burrow last year. Um, I don't think that's the case. I don't think they have the, the weapons that LSU had in the receiving core and the tight end core um, and Clyde Edwards, Hilaire and a great offensive line. Like I think Miami is, you know, one to two shades shy of that in every component of their offense. Um, but it is one of those where, yes, like we have ultimate trust in Brent Venables, but what are we going to get out of that D line together? You know, they really haven't played a game yet where they've gelled like on paper. We have all the talent in the world there. And I'm convinced by the end of the season, it's going to be clicking. You know, what does it look like if Miami punches Clemson in the mouth? And maybe we only have one of the Justin Foster, Tyler Davis, Xavier Thomas playing, and we are relying on true freshmen or, you know, pretty much career backup uh, veterans. So I don't know if I was going to, you know, stake a wager in this game. um, Yeah, I think Clemson ultimately pulls away, but probably Miami in the first half line is what I'm thinking. We'll see, though. A lot of it is personnel driven. Yeah, well, I think getting Tyler Davis back back in there makes a huge difference, more of a difference than Justin Foster would by himself. Um, Miles Murphy was double teamed a lot in the Virginia game, and you're not going to see that with Tyler Davis in there because he's going to be the one that they're going to need to double team. Um, So I think he makes the biggest of the impacts, but I just, you know, we've seen this time and time again, you know, talking about the, the North Carolina game last year and the way we kind of put the, put the foot on the pedal after games like this. Now there's a lot of criticism coming out out of this one. You know, the coaches aren't as down about it as the fan base is, but you know, they, they, they see what there is to work on and you better believe that they're talking to these players about it and they're letting them know um, that, they shouldn't think they're just going to waltz through this ACC season because, you know, you do have some somewhat formidable opponents. And if you start to let your guard down, like you said, Tully or Cody, the, uh, the ball bounces the wrong way. You could find yourself in a game in no time. And well, in Miami's a brand name too. And, and I, I, I try to think these kids that were born in 2000 were babies when Miami last won a natty and was actually, you know, nationally relevant, but still they're, they're a brand name. And, 
And you don't get that many, especially not in this ACC schedule. You got approximately two on your schedule. So they'll get up. Like you said, Ben, the coaching is going to be, they have a lot of teaching moments that they can, they can use from the Virginia game. And I think, I think it'll be a locked in focused team. And at least we can measure our team a little bit better. I think against Miami, if it, if it is a dud, then well, yeah, I, I, you can't blame it on a lack of focus or rust. Yeah, and it, it is interesting. They'll be without uh, their star pass rusher, Greg Rousseau. He opted out of the season, uh, potentially for a draft, you know, to prepare for the draft, potentially COVID-related. Um, but yeah, they've, they've still been able to manufacture a pretty decent pass rush. And look, playing Louisville, playing Florida State, playing UAB. Um, UAB did have a pretty potent defense. I think they were top 35 in SP Plus. Uh, or SP plus uh, last season. And they brought most of that team back. So, um, you know, Miami's got a, an impressive, um, I'm sorry, I'm talking about UAB's offensive line, but um, anyway, yeah, just on, on the defensive side, um, I don't necessarily see Miami being able to contain and slow down Clemson this whole game. So I think the matchup in this game to really watch out for is disrupting Derek King and not letting um, Harris, uh, really run all over, run all over the defense. Yeah. I tend to think this one's a little bit more hype than it, than it actually should be. Um, you know, it's nice to see that number seven by the Miami hurricanes makes them, you know, makes it feel like they're legit again, back in the glory days. But I think we all know they're not the seventh best team in the country. We can be pretty confident in that. Yeah. I mean, this is number seven without big 10 and pac 12 teams ranked, right? No, even even now with them ranked, the, the difference is they've just played a game. I mean, you've got Miami, North Carolina sitting there at 7-8. You've got four ACC teams in the top 10. We know that's not real. There's no way it ends up like that. I mean, yeah. in, in, in fairness, it's like who in the Pac-12 would be? I mean, Oregon maybe. Uh, so you flip Miami in for Oregon. I mean, it's about right. It's not too – I mean, you get an Iowa State or Iowa team that jumps up to like top 10 every now and then. I don't, I yeah. don't know. It's not my, it's not Miami, North Carolina. I mean, I need to see more out of them and see them play better competition. Obviously, we're going to get that out of Miami this week. Um, and, you know, they give us a great game or even win. Obviously, I'll change my mind, but I need to see something out of it first, right? Yeah. I, and, you know, like, this has been so long since we've considered this and talked about it. Um, Clemson's in the position where losing a game like this against the top 10 at the time ranked opponent you know, if Miami does beat Clemson this week, our season's not completely over. Yes, it's a shortened season. Chances are we get the chance to advantage of that loss. If Clemson does go undefeated um, from there on, we would be able to play Miami again. So it's an avenge that loss, and that's tended to favor well with the committee. So um, if you're going to lose one and look like, you know, Clemson, just with where the brand is, with benefit of the doubt, like Clemson could lose any game on its schedule, and we probably still have a chance to make the playoffs including the last game of the season or the ACC championship game, depending. So, um, you know, I don't want to say the stakes are low for this one, but um, yeah, you know, there's still plenty of season left. There'll be a marquee matchup against Notre Dame, provided they're able to play football at that point, and, which we all hope that they would. You know, I think we, we all want to see that matchup. So um, yeah, it'll be a fun top 10 matchup in Death Valley. It's been four years since we've seen that. Well, and it helps to have this little bit of an extra edge going into that game, at least from a fan's perspective, right? Coming off the Virginia performance, you're all worried for 
um, some uh, reasons that I'm not even sure we painted a very clear picture of why um, on this episode. Um, But it does, you do have that little bit of extra edge and anxiety heading into the game, seeing that seven by Miami. So at least the hype leading into it will be fun. And then if we do blow them out, it will be equally as fun. I'll, I'll break it down for you. We saw Clemson get beat in the trenches. We saw, you know, some question marks still in the passing game um, downfield. And uh, we saw a lot of mistakes that are uncharacteristic of this team. And if that's, if that's the kind of Clemson performance you get next week, we probably will lose that game. And that's why people are concerned. I expect the discipline to be there. I expect the personnel in the field to be better and let us hope that that also translates to better play calling that gets the passing game electrified. Yeah, I think I think the question is ultimately, are these uh, some of these mental lapses and fundamental issues a result of the team being a little bit unfocused and a little bit rusty at this point in the year with everything else going on? Or is it due to the youth factor? Obviously, these guys are are super super talented. You hope it's the former. Um, I'll throw a third one out there, Ben, you know, and I think this is the least likely, but the bye week they were kind of given a couple of days off. And during that week, it was just chaos in the country and everyone was, you know, touting Clemson. And I don't know. I mean, you know, everyone's human. You, you kind of can read your own headlines a little bit and maybe that factored in somewhat. I don't even, what chaos was that week? It's every week. <laughs> like you can't, it's not just one week where there's been chaos this year. It's 2020. Well, and, and that's a, that's the that, point I made about this Clemson game. Like I was not salty about this game yesterday because Ohio state finds a way to lose that game by 30 to Iowa or to Purdue and Clemson won by three scores. Like yeah, once we, we went up 17 to three, you knew it was over. Like I never felt like they were going to come back and like actually, you know, have a chance to beat us. So, I mean, let's just, you know, we're not going to kill everybody every game. Sometimes we have to take the 17, 18 point wins. Yeah, Cody. You know, I'm I'm not dissatisfied. I, it's more just wanting to see the uh, the guy like the generational talents that we have, namely Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. I want to see their their talents maximized. I want to see a Heisman, I, and I don't care about oh, let's get Clemson's first Heisman. I just want to see excellence uh, from guys that are excellent, and will and they'll be excellent in the NFL. I just want to see it at Clemson, and I, I don't I don't like the. I, I get your your points on on rust and COVID and craziness in the country, but I I just wanted to see better September football from Clemson University. Well, I'll, we, I'll take we, I'll take great January football over September football. And we did see some excellence out of Travis Etienne. Yeah, I'm sorry. True. Peace out of peace. Yeah, he's going by peace now, uh, Travis. Peace. Um. But no, like, I think the excellence from him, he had to just kind of dial it up on his own and it like just made it happen just when it really shouldn't have happened. But that's Travis Etienne. That's Travis Peace for you. That was right. There was a good joke somebody mentioned out there saying that the defense was getting beat because Venables was only playing four guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they're all family members too. So it makes Which sense. Which I'm glad they 
you know, if they were going to do this, they did in the third game and not the first game, because it takes me a couple of games to learn all the new guys numbers and, and like get that in my head. I had a bit, and I still was a little lost, especially in the rewatch of the game. I was having to look up some numbers for some of the guys every once in a while, but I'm um, glad they waited. That part's fun though. Like I, I texted you guys during the game, like who's number seven again <laughs> on defense. Like, I don't know. It was fun. But I do want to, I do want to complain about one just cause it didn't, it didn't make any sense. Um, our, our left tackle, uh, Jackson matter. I, I don't get the matter one. If you guys can fill me in. I bet it was part of a black lives matter, like three players potentially lined up oh, together for a photo op. That was my assumption, but, um, don't uh, quote me. Uh, yeah, I didn't, th- I, I saw that too. And okay. Interesting. Maybe that's what it was. That's my theory on the surface. Well, it uh, makes sense, but we don't know. Yeah. So in let's, not spe- let's not speculate. Yeah. Uh, well, we did talk a little bit about some of the chaos uh, that happened across the, the scoreboard this weekend. turns out this was week five. It's so weird though. with like, this is week two of the SEC and it was Clemson's third game, but no, it was, it was the fifth week of action um, across the board. Uh, just, you know, there were some upsets, um, a lot of top 25 teams did go down. I don't think anyone's that shocked that number nine, Texas lost to TCU. Uh, Texas needed every ounce of luck to get by uh, Texas tech a week prior. And um, I think uh, Oklahoma was exposed as the clown frauds that they are. Uh, Mississippi state also lost to Arkansas who snapped, I think it was like a 20 game sec losing streak. Um, so yeah, just kind of takeaways across the board. Um, the big 12 is pretty much out of it. I, I mean, mean, we should okay. give Oklahoma state the benefit of the doubt until they lose. But they I almost suppose, lost to Tulsa. Ben. Like they had good, all the good point. Tulsa. Okay. So big 12 is already out. Um, <laughs> good to get that I, out of the way yeah, early in the one season. Of the, like, lesser, one of the lesser teams, like, you know, Baylor is still undefeated. Like one of these teams could just survive, but uh, I doubt that'll happen. And I just, I think that there, I think it is just setting up for, you know, a two, a two team, you know, entry from one of the other leagues will get through or does this reopen the door for the PAC 12? I don't know. Well, I think your options are at this point. No, it doesn't open the door to PAC 12. They're not going to start playing till November. Um, And my thoughts would be that it's got to be the SEC again, getting the two teams in. Um, just in part, because even if the big 10 gets their entire season and they're playing what two, one to two less games or two to three, well, they have no, and they they just have no margin for error for any of these teams missing games. Right. Yeah. That's, they have have very onerous rules too, to like qualify to play a game. Yeah. So I think it's going to be tough. I mean, the, the best case scenario or the most likely scenario is you get a really close, uh, Ohio state, Penn state game. Uh, during the season and then they face up against each other in the conference championship games and the opposite teams win uh, uh, the team who lost yeah. the first time wins the second time, but also in a very closely contested game, but the well, have to make that for Clemson Miami, right? Like let's say Clemson pulls out a squeaker against Miami this time and Miami beats Clemson in the ACC championship game and both teams blow out the rest of their schedule. Like yeah. I think they'll both be top, top 10, top seven by the end of the season. Yeah, I think you better – I think Notre Dame has a better shot of doing that maybe. And you better beat Clemson coming up this weekend because you don't want to play them at the end of the season because we know that they're always better. 
um, as right. we've talked about this entire episode. So, um, yep. and come on, let's be realistic here. You know? Oh it's, yeah. It's, it's going to be, be two SEC teams. It's going to be. And then Alabama. Yeah. Alabama, Georgia, or Florida. Yeah. Uh, and I we're agree. kind of penciling in maybe Ohio state, but there's a chance. I think, I, I don't know what Ohio state's going to look like with their kind of, and the rebuild or reload, whatever you want to call it. But like with this uh, like crazy schedule where they're just kind of starting late, let's say they just come out flat and no one in the Big Ten pulls ahead. So like, who does that, what does that leave you with? Yeah. Three SEC teams? That's when, God, the Big Ten's going to blow a gasket. You yeah. know, this year put in uh, undefeated Cincinnati or something like that, just to see what yeah. happens. I mean, that number four seed gets blown out most of the time anyways. Usually a big 10 team. <laughs> um, I yeah, mean, but so it would it, be just like 2020 to have two ACC teams in there. Definitely. The worst, I don't think it's worst, that far fetched. Worst possible scenario from an entertainment value standpoint, at least. Yeah. My hope, though, is that it is a legitimate Final Four in the ACC of North Carolina, Notre Dame, Miami, and Clemson. And I hope we go undefeated and let the others beat themselves up. But ultimately, that you end up with quite a few ranked teams and schedule quality is good. And Clemson can either take the one seed if that's you know the best matchup advantage for us or we get into the Rose Bowl. And that's an awesome trip. Well, win or lose, I think this game against Miami coming up this weekend is going to let me know in my mind whether or not Miami or Notre Dame is second in kind of the totem pole in the ACC. I, I, I haven't seen enough out of North Carolina. Sam Howell's a great quarterback. He's been throwing some interceptions this year, and I think just as a team overall, they're, not, they're playing some close games. They're not number eight in the country. Um, that's for sure, even though they're ranked that right now. But um, Yeah. Um, well, do you guys I, remember – 2016. So Louisville was lighting the world on fire. I mean, I would say Miami has not, is not at the level of hype that Louisville was, was at with Lamar Jackson in 2016, but Clemson, if you guys remember, like we played Auburn, you know, Hunter Renfro got hurt. We needed some heroics to kind of eke that win out. Um, not necessarily heroics, but it was not a very satisfying win. And then the next week we played like Troy or somebody Ray Ray on cloud, like, fumble the ball, running a kick return back. Um, and it was just kind of like Clemson was like lack, lackadaisical coming off the 2015 Natty loss going into that Louisville game, like has a little bit of shades of this year. And, um, you know, we all know how that game ended, you know, Clemson definitely looked like a championship team at that point, but Louisville also lived up to its billing. Um, I'm hoping for that type of a matchup with a very identical result this weekend. Well, likewise, this game will teach us a lot about Miami. It'll teach us a lot about ourselves, too. Um, I think it'll let us know if we have real cause for concern in several of these areas that we pointed out in this game. Or we just go out and look like, you know, just a polished button-up team, and we handle them like we should. So, yeah. We'll see yep. this weekend. I mean, it, exactly. I think I'm just going to go rewatch that Louisville game. <laughs> it was a good game. It was, uh, it w- we were playing very sloppy. A lot of uh, wide receiver drops back then. Let me oh, yeah, say, there were, there were like three fumbles in a row in that game too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We do have a trump card and I hope we don't have to use it at all this year, but the trump card is Trevor Lawrence running and it'll, it'll, it'll propel. If he has to do it, it'll propel us to really past any ACC team, I think. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Just can't stop. Like, there's a reason that like uh, he has wide open running lanes and everyone's keen on ETN because they're like just daring him to run. And if he has to, he'll start running for thirty yards a pop. Yeah, we we didn't see any thirty yarders, but uh, he got a little bit active in the in the running game, not just by the goal line this game. So, I think you're right, Cody. Um, it's a good break in break in case in case of fire break last. Right, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, tuning in to this weekend, obviously Clemson's in the marquee matchup of the weekend. Uh, let's see what's going on elsewhere in college football. Florida travels to College Station um, in a nooner on Saturday. Uh, Virginia Tech, North Carolina should actually be a pretty telling matchup in the ACC. Uh, it's a Red River rivalry. Who gives a shit? Uh, Tennessee, Georgia. That should be an interesting one in the SEC as well. Um, I don't know. Kind of a kind of a good slate of games, guys. Uh, it's, I can't understand this season yet. I still need to see uh, for, for some reason. I need to see some big 10 games. I need to like, I look at the schedule. <laughs> make it all and, feel real. Well, these rankings don't, don't mean anything to me yet just because I know they're not. I just know, you know? Yeah. I just want to see good football games and yeah. sloppy football games and bet on them. Fair enough. So are you taking the um, Clemson to cover? Let's see. Clemson 16. Yeah. I think that's, I think actually we're, a, we're 14, 14 now. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm all over that. Um, I'm also interested in the, in the total in this game. I, uh, Clemson has not gone over in any games this season. And I'm curious if, if that'll continue this week. I think, I think it might be more low scoring. I don't know. We'll see. I'm saying we've we yeah that that's why I tend to think that if it would be a higher scoring game, I just yeah, don't I, I don't see it being low scoring. Um, but I I tend to think we put up some points. I think you're going to see Clemson come out with a different attitude and just a little bit more focus this weekend with um, you know guys back healthy and closer to hitting on all the cylinders than we've seen than we saw in the last game. Heisman moments, guys. Heisman moments. They will happen yeah. or they won't happen and that'll suck. Andrew Booth has a few more interceptions like that. Watch out. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, uh, you know, it's going to be really fun gearing up for this game and be reading a lot of the previews over at Shaking the Southland, uh, breaking down the Miami defense and offense. Looking forward to those. Um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the podcast this season and always. You know where to find us on social. Please write a review. Please tell a few friends. Um, Miami fans, if you've made it this far, uh, thanks for listening, I guess. And um, guys, anything, any parting thoughts? Ben, what, what are we doing this weekend to watch the game? I'm going to the boardroom, man. Uh, Cody, I don't think he knows this yet, but he is. We have a friend coming in town. It's a secret. He's, li- he's listening. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, we're gonna get together. Last time we watched the game together at the boardroom, Clemson beat Ohio State on the last play of the game. Oh well, there you go. What a game that was! Ah, incredible. Just got my voice back. Just got over the hangover. That's the one you should go back and rewatch. Yeah, it's true. More of the current roster is involved. All right, I guess I will. Um, well, with that, want to thank everyone for tuning in. And as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.